Good afternoon, Covenant Church. Happy New Year's. If you have your Bible, please turn to John 6. We're going to read from verses 41 to 71. If you're there, and if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is God's Word. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for drawing us to yourself, to your son, this afternoon. We have nowhere to go. Of course, on Sundays, there are many other places that we could possibly go. But Lord, there is no other place that we'd rather be than in this church at your house. Because Jesus, you have the words of eternal life and we have tasted how good they are. Nothing else satisfies us anymore, Lord. We can't live by bread alone anymore, but we need your word. We need your word because they are life. So Father, please speak to us, speak over us through your spirit so that we may listen to it and be delighted that we may have life and have it abundantly. In your son's name we prayed, amen. So we've been going through the Gospel of John for the past few months, and along the way you might have noticed something. As we study this book, you might have noticed that faith or the act of believing is very important to Apostle John. In fact, If you go to John 21.30, he gives us a thesis statement. So there he explains why he wrote what he wrote. He says, but these were written, this is why I wrote this gospel, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in him. Now, when we hear these words, it's easy for us to think that maybe John wrote this gospel for unbelievers. You know, he wants people outside the church to pick up his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and come away believing that Jesus is Christ. In other words, John wrote this gospel for evangelism. Now, that could very well be one of the reasons why John wrote this gospel, And it's great that people are handing out the gospel of John to those who want to know more about Jesus. So I'm not trying to discourage that by what I'm about to say. But what's interesting about John's gospel is that all throughout the book, John is constantly comparing and contrasting true faith with false faith, true disciples with false disciples. It shows that maybe not everyone follows Jesus because of faith, hope, and love. Maybe people have other motives and other reasons for following Jesus. And as we will see in today's message, as it turns out, not all active believing is the true act of believing, and not all disciples are true disciples. And we see the same dynamic in today's passage. So, 
We're going to look at three things in today's passage. First, the defection of the disciples. Second, the confession of the twelve. And third, the election of the Father. Again, the defection of the disciples, the confession of the twelve, and the election of the Father. But first, the defection of the disciples. Now, last Sunday, Don Baker walked us through what has been traditionally known as the bread of life discourse. Now, if you have red letter Bible, or if you have your Bible, it, it, may, it may look like one long sermon, but Jesus actually gave this talk in two different locations. The first time is from verse 22 to 40. He gave this talk to the crowd on the other side of the Galilee. The second time, from verses 41 to uh, 59, he gave this talk to the Jews in the Capernaum synagogue. And then what we have in today's passage, from verse 60 to 71, is the disciples' reaction to Jesus' teaching on the bread. Now, we're going to mostly focus on the disciples' reaction. So let's see how they reacted. Let's go to verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So Jesus just finished his talk on the bread of life. And what was the disciples' reaction like? Was it a happy face or sad face? It was a sad face. Maybe even an angry face. When, when they said, this is a hard saying, the disciples weren't saying, this is hard to understand. That's not what the word means. The Greek word there is skleros. Now, skleros, hard, it refers to something that's stiff and is dried out and it's inflexible. That's what skleros means. So figuratively, it has come to mean something that's harsh, unpleasant, objectionable, and even offensive. So that explains why Jesus replies to them in the next verse. In verse 61, he says, Do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? So it, wasn't like, so it was not about intelligence. It was not about understanding. It was not about IQ. This was about accepting it. The disciples weren't, weren't, weren't scratching their heads like this, saying, man, this is hard to understand. No. They were folding their arms like this, saying, this is hard to accept. So what did they do? Well, they left Jesus. They fell away. If you go down to verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, we need to pause. It's sobering to think that these were actually called disciples at one point. They weren't called a crowd as in verse 1 to 40. They weren't called the Jews as in verse 41 to 59. They were called disciples, students, followers of Jesus. That means they left their homes. They left their jobs. They decided to follow Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. 
They sat under Jesus' teaching. They witnessed Jesus' miracles. Some of them may have even part, uh, partook in Jesus' ministry. But in the end, they fell away. They could not accept what Jesus said. And you know, John is very familiar with that. So he writes elsewhere in, in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. By their defection, they made it clear to everyone that they never were true disciples to begin with. Now, what happened? What was the offense? Why did many of Jesus' disciples leave Jesus? Well, in today's passage, it doesn't explicitly tell us why the disciples left Jesus. But I think the previous section would, would give us a clue as to what the offense was. Now, making an inference here, if you go up to verse 41, it talks about Jesus teaching at the synagogue. 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him. If you go all the way down to 61, it says, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. So we have the Jews grumbling and we have the disciples grumbling. So from this connection, I'm making an inference that I think it's safe to assume the reasons why the Jews could not accept Jesus were at least similar to the reasons why the disciples could not accept Jesus. So what were these reasons? Well, at the surface level, Jesus' metaphor of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it, it rubbed them the wrong way, right? You can see that uh, in the passage. Of course, I'm sure they knew that Jesus was not advocating cannibalism, but this, this, this talk of eating the flesh and drinking the blood, it's just too much. It's just too much. You know, it, it violated their cultural and religious sensibilities, you know, we got to remember that these disciples were Jewish. So ever since they were little boys and girls, their parents, their teachers, their community leaders, they all told them, do not eat meat mixed with blood. That's no-no. It's written in the Torah that you're not supposed to eat meat mixed with blood. So these disciples, of course, they found Jesus' teaching unpleasant and and crude and unsophisticated, and it's just repulsive. They just don't want to hear about it. But I don't think that was the real reason why they left Jesus. I think there was a deeper reason for their defection. At a deeper level, even though they were called disciples, even though they left everything to follow Jesus, they could not accept in their heart what Jesus said about himself and by implication what Jesus said about them. Now we see this in two different places in today's passage. If you go to verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? 
How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Now, we, from this, we learn something important about the false disciples. False disciples do not accept that Jesus is the Lord and by implication that they are his servants. The problem was not that Jesus said he was the bread. They liked that. You know, they, they were fine with that. They want more of that. The problem was that Jesus said he was the bread that came down from heaven. Now, Jesus crossed the line when he said that. They didn't like that Jesus claimed that he was more than a man. They didn't like that Jesus claimed that he was better than Moses. They didn't like that Jesus claimed that I am the bread and I and I alone can give eternal life to people. They were offended that Jesus said he was, in fact, the Lord. If Jesus really was the bread that came down from heaven, if Jesus really was more than a Galilean boy that they grew up with, if Jesus really truly was the Lord, then they had to submit to him. They had to fall down and worship him. They had to give up their right to choose what was right and wrong about themselves. If you remember, they wanted the kind of Messiah that met their physical and political needs. They wanted the kind of Messiah that they could control and manipulate to their ends. But Jesus said, no, I'm not that kind of Messiah. I am the bread that came down from heaven, and you need to listen. You need to submit to me. And that was offensive. So the disciples, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they turned back and no longer walked with him. The second place we see this is in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, this sounds like an innocent question. You know, they're truly confused. They want to know, know what Jesus is talking about. But again, this is not about intelligence. This is not about understanding. And here, a number of commentators have proposed that they actually knew what Jesus was talking about. Of course, they didn't fully understand what Jesus meant by what he said, you know, the cross and the everything. You know, they didn't understand that. But the, 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 the key point is they knew enough to be offended. They understood enough to, to decide that we don't like this and we're going to walk away. And what they, what they rejected was that Jesus is the Savior and by implication, we are sinners. Now, what has Jesus, Jesus been saying in his talk? He's been saying that I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the Lord. I am the promised Messiah. You must receive me. But then, in verse 51, he says something strange, at least to their ears. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying, I am the bread of life. And this bread must be broken if the world is going to have life. My body must be broken. My blood must be poured out. And you, 
you are so utterly sinful. You're so completely lost that there is no hope of salvation for you unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. To come to Jesus and say, I need this bread. I need this bread of life means you're admitting your true condition. Jesus, I am starving and I need you because I can't. I can't do this. I am a sinner. I am lost. I am utterly and completely lost without you that I need even the death of the Son of God and the Messiah. Now the Jews and the disciples, they didn't want to accept that. They couldn't, they couldn't accept that. So they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they, they turned, about, turned back and no longer walked with him. What about you? Is what Jesus is telling you offensive to you? Is what Jesus is saying about himself offensive? Is what Jesus is saying about your condition Offensive? Will you also go away? Now, Jesus is asking you that question right now at this moment. And this might be one of the most important questions that you're going to answer in your lifetime. Will ye also go away? And I hope and pray that you can answer the question like the 12 disciples. Which brings us to the second point. The confession of the twelve. Now, from what we have seen, this looks like a massive defection, massive defection. Possibly hundreds of disciples have just walked out on Jesus, and this must have shaken the 12 disciples to their core. I mean, they probably couldn't believe their eyes. You know, these disciples, they left their homes like they did. They left their jobs like they did. They left their families like they did. And they were all excited about Jesus. And there was expectation. There's anticipation. They're saying to each other, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the promised Messiah. And they're, they're listening to Jesus teaching and they're happy. Yes, speak more. We want to hear more. They're seeing Jesus performing miracles and they're saying, yes. This is exactly what the prophets say. You might be Messiah. And then these disciples, they left. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And the 12 disciples, can you imagine what they must have felt? You too? You too? What? So and so left as well? I thought he or she would stick around. They must have been disappointed. They must have been discouraged. Maybe some of the 12 might have even entertained the thought, maybe we should leave Jesus too. Whatever was the case, the 12 disciples, they needed their faith to be established, confirmed, and strengthened. So Jesus, even though he knew all those who were his, asked them the question, do you want to go away as well? Or literally, you don't want to go away too, do you? Peter, of course, he's the spokesperson of the 12 disciples, right? So he speaks up and he answers Jesus. All right, if you go to verse 68, let's hear what he says. He says, 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what Jesus said was equally hard on both groups of disciples. We have the false disciples that ended up leaving Jesus. We have the 12, the true disciples who stay with Jesus. And you can imagine what Jesus said. It must have been equally hard for the both groups to hear. But one group of disciples rejected what Jesus said and left. And the other group of disciples embraced Jesus in faith and stayed. So here we learn something very important. You may be a genuine Christian. And you may still find Jesus confusing and inexplicable. You may be a genuine Christian and you may still be filled with doubts. And that's okay. That's okay. To be sure, there's the kind of doubt that pushes you away from God. But there's also the kind of doubt that actually draws you closer to God if addressed honestly. There's the kind of struggle that can wreck your faith in the end. But also there's another kind of struggle that can actually bring you closer to God if you bring it to God. Again, to be sure, there's the kind of question that you ask in defiance and unbelief. But there's also the kind of question that you ask in humility and in faith-seeking understanding. So it's okay to be offended by Jesus. It's okay to find him confusing and inexplicable. It's okay to struggle in your faith, even though you have believed Jesus. What's important is what you do with his hard sayings. And the 12 disciples, they embraced what Jesus said about himself in faith and stayed. Notice here, the true faith is always more than knowledge, but it's never less than knowledge. If you go to verse 69, Peter says, And we have believed... And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So there was content to Peter's faith. Now this title, the Holy One of God, you see this often in the Old Testament. This was Isaiah's, fun, uh, Isaiah's uh, one of favorite titles in reference to God. You know, he liked to call God, you the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. So you find this title in the Old Testament. So by confessing to Jesus, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Peter is confessing his faith. He's saying, Jesus, this has been a process for us as well. We have believed. We have come to know. This has been a process. This wasn't easy. This was a struggle. This was wrestling. But when the rubber meets the road, in the end, we have come to believe that you are the Lord. But here's, here's what's fascinating about this title. The Holy One of God. There's only one other time in the New Testament that someone else calls Jesus the Holy One of God. It's in Mark 1.24. Can you guess who calls Jesus the Holy One of God in Mark 1.24? It's the un unclean spirit. So we have Peter calling Jesus the Holy One of God, and we have a demon calling Jesus the Holy One of God. So clearly, knowledge alone 
is not enough. Knowing the right facts is not enough. A mental assent is not enough. This is exactly what James says in James 2.19 when he said, You believe God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and even, even the demons believe and shudder. So true faith is never less than knowledge, but it is always more than knowledge. True faith is always, it always involves trusting and loving the person of Jesus Christ. The crowd, the, the Jews, the false disciples, they trusted and they loved the bread. That's what they wanted. They didn't care about the person of Jesus. Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus, if you can get us to the bread, we don't really care what you say about yourself. And if you say something offensive, we're just going to leave you. Because what we really want is the bread. But look at the 12 disciples. Look, look, look how they say, say this in verse 68. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the heart cry of a true disciple. The true disciple cries out to God, Jesus, I have nowhere to go. I have no one to turn to. I realize what you say about myself. I am a sinner. I am utterly lost. I am completely sinful, that there is no hope, for, hope of salvation for me. Lord, to whom shall I go? But to you, you have the words of eternal life. Is that your confession of faith today? You may be struggling with doubts right now. You may be wrestling in your faith. You may even be mad at God and you want to know why. You may even be crushed and crushed by guilt and shame. You may be discouraged by what other people are saying about Jesus and about you. But if this is your confession, if you can say with Peter and the 11 disciples, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the eternal life. Then that may be the beginning of true faith for you. Now, the third and the last, the election of the Father. Now, at this point in the story, put yourself in Jesus' sandals. Hundreds of followers have just left you. If you have an Instagram account or something, you have X amount of followers, and then now it's down to 12. That's basically what happened, but in a massive scale. What would, and, then the, and then the 12 disciples, they might be the only people that you have left. And now you are walking into the building and they are the only ones left. Now, they said, we're going to stick with you. We're going to stay with you. We see something that other people are not seeing in you. And we are going to be here. We're going to be here. Now, how would you respond to a loyal group of followers like that? Now, if I was Jesus, if I were Jesus, I might... Start crying because this is so touching. This is so moving. I might even initiate a group hug. Even if they don't want to hug me, I'm going to hug them. You know, and it's just going to be tears and runny nose, everything. That's not how the story ends. And in the last two verses in today's passage, Jesus says something unexpected. Let's go to verse 70. 
Jesus answered him. Now, Peter just sh shined like a bright light. He had a brightest moment. He, he confessed his faith in Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. When we hear about public Christian figures renouncing their faith, or you might even know family members and friends that have abandoned the faith, you know, it, it, it makes us deeply sad, right? It hurts because their eternity is at stake. And it hurts. You know, it pains us. It discourages us. It disheartens us. And it might even shake the foundation of your faith. But if you're not careful, it's equally easy for us to slip into the opposite extreme. It can be easy for us to feel a little smug. Haha, <laughs> they fell away, but I'm here. I'm here in the church on Sunday. They are not here, but I'm here. Just like Peter, elsewhere he says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times. But he said, no, I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. Now, a number of commentators have pointed out that maybe there is a hint of presumption or even arrogance in the words of Peter. It's kind of like Peter is doing a favor to Jesus. Peter is saying, I know a lot of people have left you, Jesus, but don't worry, we're here, we got your back, it's okay. It's as if Peter is saying, it could, it could be read as, Jesus, we choose you. And Jesus says, no, you don't. I choose you. So Jesus, with a needle in his hand, lovingly pops Peter's inflated ego and says, and yet one of you is a devil. Now, as readers, we're familiar with the New Testament and the gospel stories, so we know which one of the 12 that Jesus is referring to. Who is Jesus talking about right now? Yes, Judas. He's talking about Judas. But we have to remember, the disciples, they had no idea till the end. They had no idea that Judas was the betrayer. And here's what's funny. Besides Judas in the Gospels, who else was called a devil by Jesus among the twelve? Yes, it's Peter. So at this point, Peter looks like he's one of the most likely candidates to be the devil that Jesus is talking about. Now, this is devastating. We thought the twelve disciples, they were the true disciples. We thought... They were the cream of the crop. They were the real deal. And Jesus says, and yet one of you is a devil. Now, this puts a serious question to all of us. If even among the 12, if even within the 12 disciples, there was an apostate, how could we ever be sure about our faith? Now, this makes us wonder, Am I the devil? Is my faith in Jesus true? Have I really believed in Jesus? Like really, really believed in Jesus? How can I know my realness of belief in Jesus? 
And even if, even if my faith is true today, how can I be sure that it's going to be true tomorrow, 10 years from today, 50, 70 at the deathbed? How can I be ever sure that I'm going to stay true to Jesus till the end? So we're not prideful anymore, but we're in despair. And Jesus opens his mouth, and what comes out of his mouth is the words of eternal life. He says, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you? Jesus is bringing up the doctrine of divine election. Not to start a debate. Not to resolve all the philosophical and theological difficulties that come with this teaching. But to establish our faith. But to comfort us in our faith. And to strengthen us in our faith. The question is this. Do we choose God or does God choose us? And the answer is yes. They are both right. Our choosing of God and God's choosing of us, they're not butting heads against each other. In fact, they appear side by side in one sentence in John 6. If you go to John 6 verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. There is the Father giving the people to the Son. There is God's choice. And there is the people coming to the Son. There is human choice. God's choice and human choice, they appear in one sentence, side by side. There is no hint of contradiction. They're held in a perfect and beautiful tension. Election does not erase your choosing of God. You really did choose God. You really did come to Christ. But as one author says, what divine election shows us is the chronology of choice. There's the only reason why you could choose Jesus is because God chose you from eternity. God chose you before you did. So according to John, if you have chosen Christ, it's all because God has given you to Jesus, verse 37. It's all because God has granted you to Jesus, verse 65. And it's all because God has drawn you to Jesus, verse 44. Now, some of you, some of you might be struggling right now. And you might be saying in your mind, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I agree. I understand. This has been a, this had been a hard journey for me as well. And, and it took me a while. So I'm not, I'm not proposing that what I, what I explained or what I'm going to explain is going to resolve all your doubts and questions and everything. This is a difficult doctrine to begin with. Uh, yes, to say the list. And to be completely honest with you, I thought about skipping it, just not mention it in my sermon. I read, you know, in my preparation, I'm reading John 6, and, and I come to verses, verse 37, verse 44, verse 65, verse 70, and I'm like, oof, man, do I even bring it up? Should I mention this? Do I, do I dare talk about divine election in my message? 
But over the course of the weeks, the Holy Spirit strongly impressed on my heart that I must speak of divine election. Why? Not only because it's here, it's everywhere in John 6, but also because I've come to realize that without election, there is no hope for assurance of our faith. There is no foundation on, on which we can have security in Jesus. So we must, we must speak about it. Now think about it. If salvation was entirely dependent on us making the right choice of Christ and maintaining that choice throughout all of our lives till the end, then we would be seriously unstable Christians. Now on a sunny day, when we're doing so well in our spiritual life, we're reading our Bible, we're praying, we're going to church, we are obeying the commandments, this is great. We're going to start thinking that we are like Peter. We will be prideful and arrogant. We can put too much confidence in our choice, in, in our commitment, and in our faith. But on a ra rainy day, when things are not so going well with our spiritual life, we're going to be depressed. And we'll start thinking about ourselves as Judas. Am I the devil? Man, look at me. Am I even a Christian? Without the doctrine of divine election, we will go back and forth between these two extremes all throughout our Christian life. There will be no peace, no joy, no hope, no security, no assurance. But then Jesus says, in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I chose you. You're mine. And I'll never let you go. If you're not a Christian, and if you are, maybe you're grumbling like the other disciples thinking about this teaching that you just heard. And it just doesn't make sense, right? In your, head, in your mind, maybe you're thinking, well, okay, let me get this straight. If God has eternally chosen some for salvation, then why bother? If I'm chosen, then no matter what I do, God's going to save me. But if I'm not chosen, then no matter what I do, God's not going to save me. So why even try? It's all determined. Friends, let me remind you that that is way above our pay grade. We can never know if we are chosen by God until we have actually come to Christ. And Jesus says, and Jesus says, all who, okay, in verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And let me remind you, don't you get it? God is drawing you right now in this worship service. God is drawing you. This much you know. You may not know if you're chosen or not. We can never know that. But this much you know, God is speaking to you right now. And he's drawing you to himself through the preaching of the word. And he's drawing you to himself through the prayers of those who love you and care for you. And when God draws you like this, like today, like at this moment, don't resist him. 
Come to Christ. Choose Christ. Jesus really meant it when he said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So come to Christ. And if you are a Christian, then rejoice. Rejoice. Before the universe existed, you existed in God's mind. And he knew you. And he loved you. Long before you, you took your first breath, God made a plan to breathe his life in you. He made arrangements for, for your salvation even before you were born. Long before you began to crawl, he set the destination for you to bring you home. Long before you committed your first sin in your life, God made a decree to rescue you from sin and death. And he smiled. He smiled on the day that you first believed. He smiled on the day when you first prayed in your heart, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have words of eternal life. He knew that they would come. Why? Because he planned it. And he executed it. He sent his son and he orchestrated everything in your life in such a way that you would choose Jesus and come to him. So if you have come to Jesus, it's because God has chosen you. He has given you to Jesus. He has drawn you to Jesus. And now you are his. I don't know what's exactly going on in your life. I don't know if You've cried yourself to sleep this past week. I don't know if you've groaned over your sin. I don't know if you've been discouraged and disheartened by what's going on in your life. We all have burdens that we're carrying. We all have crosses that we're bearing. But friends, I want to assure you, no matter what's happening in your life right now, be rest, rest assured he will hold you fast. God has chosen you to be his child and God has given you to Jesus and God has drawn you to Jesus and now that you have come to Jesus, he will not cast you out. He will never lose any of those who believe in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, all we can say is, why me? Because I look at my own life, look at the kind of life that I'm living. Yes, people in the church, they don't know. Maybe I don't even know. I, I'm prone to deceive myself. When I look at my life, there's no reason for you to choose me. There's nothing good in me. I can pretend that I am good, that I'm decent. But Lord, inside I know that there's so much going on, so much hatred, so much anger, so much inordinate desires, so much sin, that there is no way 
if it was up to me, that I would choose you. And there's no way if it was up to you for you to choose me. But you did choose us if we have come to you. Father, we can only praise you. We can only say thank you. We can only say from now on, we want to live for you. Because, Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We, we need you. And you are the only one that we need. So, Father, please be with us. Be with each and every single one of us this coming week. Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is ahead of us in 2020, help us to remember that you are our Father and you will never cast us out and you will never lose any of us who have come to believe you. So, Lord, help us to rest in that and continue to praise you as we close this worship service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.